Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. This will be on CT of the ureters and bladder, pearls, and pitfalls. And I have given different times talks to you discussing the bladder, discussing the ureter, but never really done it to any great formal fashion. So I thought I would do it, and that's what this talk is going to be about. This will be a several-part series. Now, the first thing we'll mention, of course, is the technique. And technique is, again, critical in terms of looking at the ureter, there are a number of different protocols. People have used different bolus type techniques from triple bolus to single bolus to split bolus. People have used things from compression techniques to saline to IV Lasix to prone positioning. Now the fact is a lot of these protocols resulted in significant acquisitions and radiation dose. And as we became more careful with radiation, those protocols really were not really good ideas. Uh, in a sense, we've modified the protocol to make it pretty simple. We give our patients 1,000 cc's of water over about a 20-minute period prior to study. The patients are then, when we give IV contra, is going to be excreting urine. Uh, lots of water distends the bladder. We also tell the patients not to go to the bathroom before they do the study. Again, sometimes everyone wants to go to the bathroom. They get a little bit nervous, but we'd like the bladder to be distended. And when we do delayed phase imaging, except in cases with UPJ, we typically are getting a delayed at 5 minutes, not at 10 minutes. And the reason is, and I'll show you some examples, when you have late phase delayed imaging, although conceptually you think perhaps there's more contrast within the pelvis and calyces and ureter, the issue is the contrast is very dense and you have beam hardening artifacts and a lot of subtle findings you're just not going to see. When we look at the ureter, and we'll discuss the ureter first, the importance of looking at the full sequence of images from the axials to arterial and coronal uh, to 3D is very obvious, and I'll show you again examples of that. Now, there have been several articles recently talking about the ureter. This article by Potenta makes the point that it's a retroperitoneal throughout its course, which is about 25 centimeters. Cross-sectional diameter typically about 2 to 3 millimeters. Uh, because of its peristalsis, it makes it very hard to catch the ureter always opacified unless it's obstructed distally. And we know this from IVP days that sometimes you would take 10 films to get the ureter opacified. I think with CT it's not typically the same problem because a dilated ureter without contrast is still easy to follow and look for transitions and look for causes. I like to think about a dilated ureter as a dilated loop of small bowel. We're looking for the site of change in caliber and the cause. Now if you think about obstruction, uh, people talk about proximal, mid and distal obstruction and you could imagine there are different causes. Proximal often is a stone or a TCC. Uh, mid portion can be retroperitoneal fibrosis, can be a tumor or can be a stone, and uh, more distally, commonly, it's going to be either a distal stone or it's going to be tumor. But just by naming the location, it's really hard to be specific because there are many different options. Now, when you think about stone disease and you ask me where the stones are located, the several common locations are at the ureteropelvic junction, at the pelvic brim where the ureter crosses the iliac vessels, and at the UV junction. So we do know to look in those regions, but again, a stone can be literally anywhere within the patient's ureter. There have been articles talking about stone disease. What does the referring clinician need to know? Well, they need to know the presence or absence of stones, 
its location, the number of stones, stone diameter, and secondary findings, whether it's pilocytis extravasation or the fact the patient has acute pyelonephritis. Now, it's important to recognize that uh, one of the things we can do, in addition to the classic findings described here, is be able to determine what the stone is by using dual energy. Is it a uric acid stone or is it a calcium-based stone? We can do that, though often the densities with higher densities being calcium-based stones usually works well also. Now people do ask the question, can stones be missed on CT? Well, the answer is 99% of stones are detected regardless of their makeup. The under 1% that can be missed are pure matrix stones or stones composed of proteus inhibitor indivar. So it's exceedingly rare. If you don't see a stone, there is none present. And just a simple example, uh, here's a stone in the patient's left ureter. Now one thing I do mention at times, though this is probably not the case, it's hard to say whether the stone is in the ureter or is near the ureter. It can be tricky and using coronal views or different obliquities or a vessel tracking type view works very nicely showing you the stone in the patient's ureter. Now when we get past stone disease the typical thing I think about with the ureter is really tumor and at the end of the day transitional cell carcinoma is a tumor we're all thinking about. Though yes you can have lymphoma particularly lymphoma encasing the ureter, you can have metastasis, uh, breast cancer might come to mind, melanoma might come to mind, and a number of other possibilities. But at the end of the day, primary tumors of the ureter, typically TCC, are what you're going to think about. TCC of the ureter, and of the kidney in fact, increases with age, a greater instance or incidence in men over women, and there are several risk factors, smoking, phenacetine abuse, certain carcinogens, and Belkin nephropathy, which for example has a 200 times risk for TCC. Now when I'm looking at the ureter, the things I'm looking for are kind of changes in the caliber and the enhancement, transition changes. So I'm looking for thickening, I'm looking for abnormal enhancement, typically increased enhancement. I'm looking for calcifications. Calcifications are something you might see not, um, I don't mean stones by calcifications, but wall-like calcifications, like maybe in TB or macroplakia. We look for fat stranding around the ureter, which can be a sequela of infection, as well as filling defects, as well as hydronephrosis and hydroureter, and looking for that transition point. When you speak about transitional cell carcinoma, the most common location is thought to be the renal pelvis. Uh, within the ureter itself, TCCs of the distal ureter are much more common compared to mid and proximal ureter. So distally is indeed most common. Uh, one of the issues with looking at ureteral tumors is that it's a challenge because of the poor opacification at times of the ureter. Uh, is this a process that's pathology or is it lack of distension? You hate to overcall the presence of ureteral pathology. So it can be very subtle. So transitions in enhancement, transitions in caliber, transitions in the wall are all things that become very, very important. And the article by Rahman goes on to say the proper diagnosis hinges not only on the appropriate interpretation of the source images, 
but on using 3D techniques as an ancillary tool. And our experience utilization of 3D technique can be used in the diagnosis of acute subtle tumors that are barely responsible or barely perceptible even on source images, but can be missed. So I think it's very important to recognize, and I'll show you examples, that it's so easy, particularly in older patients, to miss subtle tumors, just like it's easy to miss stones, in fact, when you have flea bullets around, you have poor tissue planes, it's very easy to walk by things. You really need to be careful. And the ureters are one of the areas where I see lots of misses. Now, over the years, we've looked at techniques to try to maximize opacification while minimizing dose. There's no perfect answer. When we did our phase at about five minutes, we had really good results with opacification of both the collecting system and the patient's ureter and bladder. And here's just a nice example with a delay showing a duplicated collecting system on the left. Now I mentioned typically we go five minutes, but if the patient has a suspected UPJ, I'll go 10 minutes. At times you're not gonna be satisfied, you're uncertain what's going on, and then getting delayed scans, even up to 10 minutes is not unreasonable, but again, you wanna minimize the number of repeats. It really slows down the process of uh, working. Now. When you ask a question, uh, and I mentioned this before, how long is your routine delay on CT urography? And when you look at the literature, it's anywhere between four and 10 minutes. Our experience is to use five minutes because it really is ideal. Uh, with a five minute delay, we're able to uh, look for UPJ obstruction. Uh, in most cases, it works well, but in those select cases, going at eight minutes or even up to 10 minutes will work well. As I mentioned, when you routinely are waiting a long time, you get significant artifacts because of the dense contrast. I think it's also important to recognize in terms of throughput, if you spend an extra five minutes a patient and you're doing 40 patients a day, that's three hours. So the uh, process, uh, again, works well, both in terms of diagnosis as well as in patient throughput. With the four to five minute delay, which I really like, we don't worry about the dense artifact Again, it's efficient, but as I'll show cases, if the ureter is not opacified, it could take hours to opacify. But an unopacified dilated ureter is like an unopacified dilated small bowel loop. And I can easily, with reconstructions, be certain as to the transition point and usually invariably be certain as to its cause. Now with 3D imaging, it really can give a big advantage to this. We could accentuate subtle strictures and sites of narrowing that are overlooked on axial imaging. We can accentuate subtle areas of abnormal enhancement. It's easier to get better visualization of the distal ureter or at transition points, and flat polypoid lesions will be easier to see. Just a simple example, non-contrast scan. You see evidence of right hydronephrosis, and when you follow it down where there is a soft tissue mass, when maybe it's a node perhaps, when you look at the contrast studies, early phase imaging, you see the dilated renal pelvis. You see the dilated ureter, but as you get down to the ureter, you can see it's enhancing. There's wall thickening. And that enhancement is a typical appearance one would expect to see with a tumor. When you take that area and you look at it again on the coronal views or on the MIP imaging, you see the subtle wall enhancement, you see the soft tissue mass, 
and you recognize you're dealing with a tumor. This is a classic appearance of a TCC of the ureter causing right hydronephrosis, but the mass is very nicely seen and the luminal change is also very nicely defined. As I mentioned, the idea of looking at the ureter, even when it's not distended, is perfect because it's thinking about small bowel obstruction. So this patient had back pain and on the MR for back pain, someone noticed the uh, right ureter was dilated. Here we did a CT, the right kidney is smaller than the left, but the right ureter is dilated. We followed the dilated ureter down on the axial imaging. But when you take those same images and you put them in coronal and sagittal plane, you can see the dilated ureter and then you come into a soft tissue mass, which is the cause of the patient's obstruction. You can see that the soft tissue mass is kind of conical. You can see the transition point. This is not a stone. This is not a blood clot. This is a classic appearance of what we call a transitional cell carcinoma. And the sign you're describing is the goblet sign. Very nice example. Another case, look at the patient's right hydronephrosis and hydroureter. Whether you wait five minutes or 50 minutes, it's not gonna be opacified. It's obstructed. Well. When you look at this more carefully, you see the obstructed right kidney, you see the dilated ureter, and then you see a transition point. When you rotate along that transition point, look at the soft tissue infiltration. You see that's an infiltrating tumor, and that was another example of the goblet sign, which is a great sign for a transition point and a great uh, appearance for making the diagnosis of a transitional cell carcinoma. And again, just very nicely seen. And here it is on the sagittal views. This case makes the point about being able to look at the ureter that's not opacified. Also the importance of reconstructed views and really analyzing transition points. There was an article by Zhu a couple years back. When stratified by location, urothelial thickening was more predictive of tumor in the pelvic seal region than in the ureter. In contrast, filling defects were more predictive in the ureter than the pelvic seal system. So that can be helpful, but not as helpful as it sounds. Another example. Here we see evidence of a prominent renal pelvis. As we scan downward, we, we look and we say, okay, what's going on in the patient's renal pelvis? Well, you look at the left kidney and you look at the right kidney, and you see the left kidney, the pelvis is a bit dilated, but also the enhancement is not as good as the right kidney. It's decreased enhancement. Also, there's some irregularity of the borders of the left kidney. And you're worrying, could it be obstruction? Could it be a tumor? Could it be a stone? Could it be polynephritis? You know there's pathology, but you're not certain why. And now when you look at the patient's excretory phase imaging, you see that the proximal ureter is noted to be thickened. And you look at the images and you say, well, on the 3D, maybe this is thickening, maybe it's just the UPJ, maybe there's no tumor present here. But if you look carefully at the 3D images, you say, okay, dilated pelvis, dilated calcial systems, I really worry about this and I worry about the ureter. But again, you don't see the ureter opacified on the right, but the right doesn't have any dilatation. But when you look more carefully, look at the patient's ureter. Look how nicely you can see the thickening over the proximal ureter. Just a beautiful example of a transitional cell carcinoma. It was indeed subtle. Another example. Here we look and we say, okay, two functioning kidneys. Unlike the last case, the cortical medullary interface is similar bilaterally. 
and on the expiratory phase imaging, there's no obstruction. This patient had hematuria, maybe it's a normal study. But look more carefully. Look at the patient's ureters when we go to MIP imaging and volume rendering. You see the proximal third of the left ureter? Look how it's irregular. It's not obstructed, but it looks like an infiltrating process over several centimeters. That is really nicely seen there. And as we go through a range of visualizations, a beautiful example of a subtle infiltrating transitional cell carcinoma of the ureter. This case makes the point that we always think about tumors of the ureter or stones or masses, and then you expect to see obstruction. Here there's infiltration, but no obstruction. Now I should also say perhaps that ureteral thickening is not always going to be tumors. Uh, it can be seen with infectious ureteritis, and that can be seen in the setting of cystitis, pyelonephritis, or pyonephrosis. Although discrete filling defects are uncommonly caused by infection, a few infections, including TB and fungal infections, can occasionally produce filling defects. So again, it's not a very perfectly straightforward thing. Now, inflammatory changes of the ureters are uncommon. We do see them at times um, when patients have severe infection of the GU tract, both in the bladder and the kidney. So it can be the entire course of the patient's um, urothelial tissue, you want to be very careful because multifocal transitional cell carcinoma can have a very, very similar appearance. So it is going to be a challenge. And here's just a nice example showing you where the stranding around the kidneys is seen bilaterally, the patient has good visualization of thickening of the renal pelvis and enhancement of the renal pelvis bilaterally. You look down at the ureters, and the ureters also look thickened. So in this case, I'm very much concerned about tumor, but bilateral tumors are rare. You've got to be thinking in this case, could this be something else? An infection comes to mind, and this was due to infection. So it's really not always going to be easy to make that diagnosis. Now, in terms of what else we can look at, the ability to see information, to see images, is often a challenge. The ureters are often a super challenge to me, and so I do find it very, very important to really analyze the cases carefully. And what I'd like to do then is maybe take a five-minute break, let everybody stretch their legs, and let's come back and let's look at some challenging cases and see how well you can do. Now with that, I'll see you in a few minutes.